Father, thanks for uh, the privilege of being with fellow soldiers and uh, believers in Christ. Thank you that you knit our hearts together, that we might be one, that we might uh, be an example to the world of your hands and feet, of your message, of the hope that is in Christ. We pray, Father, that you stir our hearts this morning as we look to your word, uh, as it transforms us, as it gives us hope as it stirs us to, to be that person that you've designed us to be. To that end, Father, we commit ourselves in Christ's name. Amen. We are in Ephesians uh, chapters 4 and 5. And if you've uh, been doing any of your homework, which I hope you have, uh, just the, the thrill of being in these books, these uh, letters that Paul's been writing, and as we're journeying through that, we know, we know that there is such an enormous wealth of truth here that you literally, literally could spend, you know, days on a word or on a phrase or on a section of Scripture. And the fact that we're covering so much, we don't want you to necessarily be discouraged with that. We, we want you to uh, relish in the, the incredible wealth of material and information that God has provided for you and me that we might be the people that he's called us to, to be. And no different is our chapters uh, 4 and 5 of Ephesians. If we've gotten rolling with the theology in the first few uh, chapters here, that as we get to chapters 4 and 5, I encouraged you last time I was with you, that when you're breaking these passages down, regardless of how much material you're trying to take, you want to know what you read. You don't want to just read it and then be able to move on and, you know, maybe offer a few words up of prayer, and then you've, you've moved on to the next project of the day. When you leave the Scriptures, you want to be able to be able to say back to yourself and have that core, that thing that God wants you to be thinking about and stirring your spirit as you go through the day. In order to do that, you really have to focus on, on the passages that you're reading. You have to know what the big idea, what is Paul trying to say, not only to the recipients of this letter, but to us. So when we get to these chapters, there's a lot of really, really good stuff. Uh, he breaks this down. There are a lot of uh, ideas in chapters 4 and 5. Let me just throw out a couple of what these ideas are, and then I'm going to back up and look at one small idea and show you what I did with it this last couple of weeks. These last couple of weeks. Uh, chapter 4. Open your Bibles, number one. I, I like when, you, when you're seeing the Word. I, I we could have the Scripture on there, but I want you to get used to actually seeing it in your Bible, knowing where you find it, underline it. It's, it's okay. It's okay to write in that book because that will help you remember and find things. It's, it's, it's really okay. But when we look at this, this big idea, I want you to look in chapter 4. And it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. This is where Paul is jumping off. And I can put the next two chapters with it very succinctly in my own little mind. I can put them all together under this verse. That Paul is imploring us. He is begging us. He is screaming at us as, as with his last breaths from prison. I implore you, do this. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called. There's all kinds of theology there. Because it talks about, you know, the fact that God's involved in our salvation experience as the initi initiator. Uh, and in, but his implore in, is, is for our walking, that we walk worthy. 
Look what he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He's saying, you know, here's your deal. You've been called by God. You got a purpose. And this purpose is something that you need to walk in. You need to live your lives, carry out your marriages, do your job, spend the time in your communities, spend the time in your workplace in such a way that people see who you are and ask questions about your God. I walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And in the focus of this calling, that's what the, these next two chapters talk about. Then he breaks it down like this. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then the first section is that you'd be unified. Because our unity speaks to the unity of God. It's a huge part of our testimony. Then he says, let's walk in a manner that shows your maturity. Walk away from things that you used to be a part of. That's the next section of verses up there from 7 through 16. And then at verse 17, he picks up and he says, and walk in a newness of life. Walk maturely. Do these things. And that carries all the way into chapter 5 to verse 19. And then when you get to chapter 5, verse 20, he starts a section. He says, keep walking. Mature in your relationships with each other. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That's where he's going with this whole thing. I want to show you what I did with that very, very first section. I find this very intriguing that he starts the whole thing off talking about, I urge you, please, whatever you do, protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, when I look at a passage like this, it's very difficult to, uh, to just read this and then skip on to the next thing. Because I'm asking a few questions here. When I see this scripture and it says, the unity of the Spirit, I want to know what it's talking about. And you will find that the unity of the Spirit, by the context of this, is talking about our unity as a body of believers. So, okay, he's saying that it's very important that we are united, that we have a unity, that we are one in the Spirit, that we move into this world with the same purposes, with the same voice, with the same energy. And he's saying this reflects me. Verses 4 through 6 describe why it's so important. God says, I am one. Three very big verses there. Very, they're very rich in theology. But basically says, God, I'm one. And he says, because I'm one, you guys should be one too. You're all the hands and feet. But you're supposed to function as one. And he says that you are supposed to be diligent, which means you fight for it to stay together. So I go, okay, you've got to stay together. But what's this, the bond of peace? What does the bond of peace have to do with unity? So as I look at this, this verse 3 where it says to, to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit, that's our unity, and the bond of peace, I'm breaking these phrases down. And that's what you have to do. I want to encourage you that it is very difficult to get the most out of Scripture if all you're doing is reading. That's why we're trying to take you to the next level where you understand that you have to engage with the Scripture on a regular basis. We encourage the whole journaling process, which is a, a function of asking the, about the, the six C's or whatever formula you want to use, but you have to ask questions of the text. We have to understand what he's saying there. So when he says, preserve the unity of the, the, uh, the spirit of the, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, I'm going, okay, these are important phrases. What's he trying to say here? 
Because he's very, very serious about it. He leads the whole section on walking in a manner worthy with this. So I broke this down. It's a little, little silly, but it helps you understand how I think. And I don't think it's, a, it's really a bad way to, to process. This uh, group of pillows, this blue pillow, represents us. It's our unity. And we are bound together. It says, this is, this is the reflection. Us being together reflects our Father in heaven. But what is very important to this is that little phrase in the bond of peace. What makes peace so important to unity? Well, the actual the word bond is an idea of a restraint or a rope, if you will. When you talk about a bond of love, a bond of the covenant, the, I go find in the scriptures every time that they talk about a bond to help me understand what it means to have a bond of peace. And you can't just ignore the fact that that's going on. So the point is, if we are this blue pillow and this green ribbon is a bond of peace, it's the restrainer, if you will. And he says, it's what keeps you together. And so I start playing with this idea going, all right, I've got a restrainer. I have a bond of peace. And if the bond of peace is removed and loosened, and what I have is no longer this situation where it's held together. There's nothing holding it together. Therefore, it starts to unravel. And the next thing you know, you have issues like this. And you don't have anything like we had just what God wants. This does not represent a unified God. This does not understand. But this little thing of peace... The idea of being bound together in peace is what God is asking so on. He says, no, so what's the key to this? This passage says, that's what you should be asking yourself. Okay, I got it. We stay, we stay unified in peace, but what's the key to peace? Look in verse 2. Again, you're putting this, you're taking these pieces apart, you're understanding them, and you're saying, how do they fit back together? Verse 2 says this, with all humility and gentleness and patience. Showing tolerance for one another in love. So the key to peace is showing tolerance. Now this, this one really would get my eyebrows high. As it should you. So what are the clues here? What, okay, we, God wants us to be unified. He says peace is clearly a, a huge part of binding us together. And the thing that brings us peace is the way we tolerate one another. What are the clues? What's, oh man, that's a big one. We need to tolerate. His clues in this passage include these three things. Look what he says. With all humility, with all gentleness, and with all patience. Alright, I'm looking at those words. Humility. You want a great picture of biblical humility? Look at the description that Paul gives in Philippians 2, 3. What does Philippians 2, 3 say? You go find out. But that gives you a picture of humility. Basically, humility shows that other people are more important. So the first principle of tolerance is to understand that other people are more important. Second one is patience. I said also see Matthew eighteen twenty six. You want to see a great definition of patience. Go look where Jesus is telling the story about uh, the servant that owes money. And how they, they, they kind of pass it down the line and they go to the, to the slave and they say, pay your money back right now. And he says, I can't. Be patient with me. Give me a chance to pay you back. 
Because patience involves two things. It involves time and opportunity. So when you say, give me patience with my wife, give me patience with my children, give me patience with my friends, what you're saying is, God, give me the grace to give them time and opportunity to change. Pretty interesting definition of change. But you get this by looking at your scriptures. I didn't go anywhere else this week. I just kept going back to the Word. third one there is the gentleness. And so what's a good picture of gentleness? He says if you're supposed to be gentle, gentle, gentleness is an important part of being tolerant. I go, what's a good picture of gentle? And the best picture of being gentle, the way it's used, would be found in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. Again, Paul's writings. I stayed with Paul's writings to go. I went to other passages of Scripture to help me understand this passage. This is what uh, Todd does every Sunday. His whole idea is he starts with a passage that basically he exposits it to bring light to the subject. And then he brings in other scripture to make it, to answer all the other questions that one passage doesn't answer. See, God doesn't make a complete uh, theology every time he, he brings up a topic. He will often bring up something in scripture that we will need to go to other places in scripture to get a fuller understanding. This is a great, great subject. The idea of being tolerant. And we only have three clues in this passage. That we're supposed to, supposed to be humble. You, that other people are supposed to be more important. That we're supposed to be gentle. That, that, that 1 Thessalonians 2.7 has the idea of a nursing mother with a child. What's a nursing mother with a child? The great picture of gentleness. It's caring for somebody until they can stand on their own. So when you talk about being gentle with people around you, you are a caregiver with the aim of them being self-dependent. But that's what it means to be gentle with people. Bringing them along so they can stand on their own. And that's part of tolerance. These three clues are very important to tolerance. But I'm, I'm going to be real honest with you. I get through reading this, I go, okay, God, I got it. You want us to be unified. You want our unity to speak to the world of our, of our Lord. We're hands and feet. We're supposed to be moving in the same direction. That peace is a huge part of that. And the, and the way we get peace is that we tolerate. Okay, but that still leaves a lot of questions, doesn't it? I have a lot of questions about it. i got questions like, well, should we let others believe and teach anything they want to in the name of Christ? Where does tolerance fit in in that one? How about this? Does this apply to believers or non-believers? When you read that passage, you ought to be asking yourself that question. Oftentimes, the understanding who the audience is is huge in understanding what God's expectation of you is. So we want to know, who are we supposed to be tolerant of? Do Todd and I tolerate each other? Does Kyle have to put up with me? The word tolerate, the Greek word, I didn't even want to spend much time on, but it's a great one. It means to endure with or hang in there with them, even when it's not always pleasant. That's what it means, to endure with. How uh, about some more questions? This made me think about, well, does this mean peace? At any, Paul, are you saying this is peace at any cost? What people need to do is see us together, and we need to hold hands, and we need to join the big church organization, all for one and one for all, and... Is that what he's saying here? Where do we draw the line? And how do we decide 
what we fight for and what we let go. You see, when you are being honest with the Scriptures and you're asking these questions, it's okay. You get God's not concerned that you don't go away with a nice, tidy little package every time you open the Word. In fact, it should stir your spirit to say, okay, let me find where I go. Let me go to the Scriptures, other passages to shed light on these things. This is what we want to train you guys to do. As we sharpen each other, we want to learn to think biblically. And the way you learn to think biblically is you use the Scriptures. You quit using your own opinions or your own philosophies or passing on some great expression that somebody once told you. We want you to learn to go to the Scriptures and say, God says this. So as we explore this, where do you go to get other clues on this issue of tolerance? Well, I'll go back to my big idea. I say the big idea of this passage is that we're supposed to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So I'm going to look for passages that talk about how I walk. I'm going to look for passages that talk about worthiness of a calling. I'm also going to look for passages that include the word one another, words one another. I'm going to look for passages that include the word tolerance. I'm going to look for the word for passages that use the word patience and gentleness. And I'm going to go find these passages, and I am going to just start working through them. And I'm going to say, did any of these lead shed light on this whole issue of when it's time to be tolerant and when you fight? Let me give you a few examples. This, this idea of moving to other passages, I, I, and I looked up these words, and so I get this whole list of scripture I want to go look at. And one of the passages is one that we've read recently, so I thought we'd use that over in Colossians. Turn over to Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Colossians 3, 12-17. Listen to these key words that got me stirred up to start digging into this. Looking for more clues to help me understand what it means to be tolerant. Okay? That's what I'm looking for. Verse 12 says, So, as many as you have been chosen of God, all right, that falls back into that special privilege, that expectation of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, Use some of the words kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Hmm. Verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. Verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs and singing with thanks. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, I found a good passage. It has a lot of the same words and shows some, shed some, the same light, which tells me there are clues here to help me understand where Paul's going with this whole idea. Some of these clues. Verse 14, to put on love. This whole idea of treating people more important than yourself. See, there's kind of a theme here, isn't there? God says, you want people to know who I am? Care more about them than you do yourselves. Trouble with the church today, a good big part of our church is that we are so selfish that we can't get around to serving other people because we're too busy serving ourselves. And that takes all the wind out of our sails. It takes all, all of the energy behind. We're telling people how great it is to know Jesus. 
Well, then we should be living that. A couple more clues. Verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ reign in your heart. Involved in a situation where there's tolerance is the question. Is peace reigning? Is it about the unity of the spirit? Or is it about winning? If your disputes are about winning, then you're on the wrong trail. Because this would be in violation of what God is clearly telling us. That the peace of Christ is supposed to be reigning. Another clue there says, verse 16, and probably my favorite of this passage. It says, be informed by the word. You want to know how to deal with tolerance? And one of the first things you need to do is you need to know what God says about a subject. So that you can clearly understand whether you agree or disagree, but you're doing it on the basis of God's word. Not on your own feelings. And to be able to see what God says about a subject, see, that takes you off the, the point being the authority on the subject. I love to be able to just point to the Scripture and say, well, what does this say? Or how can we work through this? What does this mean? Help me understand how you interpret this, because I see this being very clear that God wants us to do such and such. But being informed by the Word of God is so, so crucial in any kind of understanding and working through indifferences. I mean, obviously we're on the precipice of talking about conflict resolution, too. I mean, a lot of this stuff naturally leads that direction. But right now we're just talking about being just about getting along. But being informed by the word is very important. And then verse 17, above all, honor Christ. That whatever you're doing as you're working through issues with people in your community group, uh, with other churches, in your in your community where we live, wherever it is, as you work through these things, are we honoring Christ? I mean, that's our goal, folks. Our folks, our goal is not to be right. God's right. And in our, your self-image is not what's at stake here. And God can take care of his own. You know, that's nice of you to think that you've got to defend God sometimes, but you really don't. God can really handle himself. I think you just speak his word and let him take care of and, and he seems to do a pretty good job of it. And he's a lot more gracious and gentle than us. So honoring Christ is a big part of the clues of understanding what it means to be tolerant. So, okay, there's still, even after this passage, it leaves a lot of questions. So you've got to go to other places in Scripture that help you understand what we need to be tolerant about and what we cannot be tolerant about. Some, some examples. What about false teaching? What do the scriptures tell us about false teaching? And how does that fit in with unity? Do you know what it says? Do you know where those lines are? I'll give you Galatians 1, 9 and 10. Let me tell you that Paul was very serious about not letting false teaching come in. But there were certain ideas, there are certain things in the church that can be tolerated, but there are certain things that cannot. Do you know the difference? Expression of worship versus salvific issues. Can you break fellowship with somebody when they say that you can lose your salvation? You break fellowship with somebody because they have women in leadership roles in their church? You see, these are the things that we want the Scriptures to inform us on, guys. But there's something really, really clear about all the stuff we're talking about this morning, what, where Paul is going. And is it very clear, though, he, tell, he can help us with a lot of passages that tell us what we should tolerate, what we shouldn't tolerate. But be sure of this, 
that from our passage in, in Ephesians as well as Colossians, there is a conduct that is to be expected to be observed by all of us. In the way that we agree and disagree with people, and the conduct is very consistent through every word that Paul writes. And it always includes gentleness. It always includes humility. It always includes kindness. It always includes putting on love. There is a standard of conduct, men, that make us different. It's not the fact that we've got to agree on everything. But it's the way we approach everything in the name of Christ that makes us unified. And that's where Paul is driving with these things. We're not expected to agree with everything. But we ought to know what's worth fighting for and what we should allow to happen. And you can't do that unless you know this book. Because the convictions that are worth dying for come out of God's Word. Like you, I get pretty encouraged on Sunday morning. I mean, there, there's some great, great teaching and exhortation. But I'm not sure I want to die just on Todd's words. I might die for him, but not his words. But I'd die for these words. Where do you line up? Do you know what you tolerate? Do you know what you take a bullet for? Know for sure that we all are expected to live a certain way as we put forth that unified picture of Christ, that we are to be gentle and humble and kind with one another. Even as we approach things that are really different at times, God gives us a standard on how we behave because how we behave about different things is a great reflection of Christ. Encouragement this morning is there's a lot of things to go in here about manner of walking and your leaders are taking different directions. But be, be sure, though, to wrestle with the things you die for and the things that you won't break fellowship over, that you can be different and still project Christ. Let me pray. Father, thanks for the men who uh, you have chosen to stir their hearts in this journey to become like Christ. Father, this issue of tolerance, you know, it's, it's annoying to me because it's used against us many times. Just because we believe what you've told us to, that it's very clear in your word, somehow people want to make us intolerant. Far, far the case, Father. Make us grace-oriented and be firm and strong enough to stand on truth that we might be a great reflection of you. We pray in Christ. Amen.